Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here tonight with the one and only Jacinta V. White. Jacinta, hello. How are you tonight? I am wonderful. I'm so excited to be here with you. Yes, this is quite a momentous occasion because you are my hero. You are my shero, as I said earlier. You epitomize why I do what I do in terms of um, putting myself out there, Mm -hmm. being an entrepreneur, being just being being and living and fulfilling the poetic dream. And that's exactly what I believe that you do. Well, well, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Okay. What is poetry? Uh, so you want to start off with probably one of the most challenging questions. <laughs> for yes. Someone to answer. Yes. But for me, and I think, of course, the, the definition varies um, from person to person. But for me, poetry is the elevation of language. And I don't mean elevation of language and, and the sense that it has to be eloquent or elaborate or, you know, some, some large words that are used. But I mean that it is, in poetry, I believe that we are paying tribute to words, to language, to emotion, to truth, to, um, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual person, so I believe that we are paying tribute to that inner voice and that inner spirit. And it's a dialogue. It's a dialogue with the page, um, with yourself, with God, with others, hopefully. So, you know, I don't have one one thing that poetry is. Um, But if I had to sum it up, I would say it is the elevation of language. Very nice. Now, as you think about your body of work, Mm -hmm. what are some of the predominant themes? Ah, lots. (laughs) Lots. Grief, um, emptiness. Yeah, my my last collection or most recent collection is resurrecting the bones, and that is really looking at the black church and cemeteries in the south. But overall, I would say I write a lot about how do we navigate these heavy, difficult emotions that in Western culture we aren't taught how to sit with. Now, do you think that a person can operate as a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? I think it would be really hard. And they don't have to be they don't have to be heavy emotions or difficult emotions. You can, you know, be a great poet and write about love and about nature. But I do think that you have to be in tune with your emotions and in tune with how to convey emotions. Because when we read poetry, we connect to the emotional tone of poetry. So I don't know that you, my opinion is it's really hard to um, be a great poet and not be in touch with your emotions. Well, please share a poem. Okay. Okay, you know what? I know what I'm going to start with. I wasn't sure, but it just hit me. And I am going to read a poem out of 
my chat book, uh, which is called Broken Ritual. And just a, just a quick snapshot uh, of me starting with poetry and a little bit about this poem. My father, who I was extremely close to, who saw my first poem published in the 1990s, <laughs> Uh, suddenly, suddenly um, had a heart attack and passed, and it really took my life in a, a direction that I didn't plan, and that I had to really focus on the grieving process and, and what that loss meant to me. So that's somewhat of my introduction to poetry and to my work with community. And so this poem uh, is in honor and in memory of him, and he was a minister. And it's titled, The Polishing of Shoes. It was a two-part ritual. Dad polishing his shoes after dinner on Saturday night while exalting unusually high-pitched into the air what would be Sunday's sermon. His onion skin, thin page Bible open next to him. Dad's large hands would slide inside the sole of one shoe, then the other as he would lift each to the space right between his nose and eyes, an inspection involving precise angling into fainting light. The following mornings after kneeling before the sunrise and rising with it, it was customary for Dad to put on his armor filled with his freshly polished black shoes that waited for him at his bedside. It was a Saturday when Dad walked into freshly fallen snow. Who knew later that night he would not make his shoes shinier than, than stars and a darkened sky, or that his house would grow silent without his high-pitched preparation piercing air. No thin pages turning like leaves in the breeze. And that following morning, Dad would not go down on his knees, nor rise as the sun. He would not put on his clothes and collar, tie his spaghetti-thin laces tight. No, his black wingtips would not be waiting for him, but instead for me to take them home without him. So that's the polishing of shoes. That was beautiful. Thank you. Very, very touching. You know, all great writers, performers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours and what makes them great in your eyes? Uh, in terms of of my poetic influences, Lucille Clifton, definitely. I love the brevity of her writing and the commitment that she had to have a house full of kids and be able to write. I'm reminded of that. Someone who doesn't have children and doesn't have a lot of excuses. But if you're a writer, you write, you find the time, you're disciplined and and you pour it out. Just a beautiful writer. And Anne Sexton. And Anne Sexton because of how she ends her poems. Sometimes I struggle with how to end and I want to end it powerfully and second guess myself but when I read her work it's just it ends with a punch um, 
and both of them really dealt with some heavy topics and in their time topics that weren't popular for women to write about. So I, there are a number of other writers and poets who influenced me, but I lean on those two, I would say, the most. Now, what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Ooh. Yes. Uh, That takes me back to growing up in church, growing up in the black church in the South. And for Black History Month particularly, and our children's group and our youth group, we had programs. And we had to learn and recite poetry. We wouldn't have to, but, you know, there are options. And some would sing, and I don't, I don't have a singing voice <laughs> or play an instrument. But I loved, I loved, ooh, let's do, let's do a poem. Me and uh, my best friend at the time, and we would, we would help each other memorize poetry and recite poetry. And I knew that it had power, not so much in the response that was given when we, when we performed it or recited it, but what it did for me. And how I knew that there was a story behind the poems that touched me. And I could relate to that more so than what I was reading in school. And so I would say definitely the church introducing me uh, to poetry. And I knew the power then. All right. Share another poem, please. Okay. Well, like, what do you want to hear? Um, <laughs> what would I like to hear? Whatever's <laughs> on your heart. Whatever's on your heart. Okay, what's on my heart? Okay. Let's. Okay, I'll I'll read to Moxville. Moxville is a town in North Carolina. That's the state that I'm from, and currently I currently reside in North Carolina. And growing up my parents would take me and my brother to spend time during the summer with my grandparents on my mom's side, my, my maternal grandparents, and they lived at Moxville. And I, I went to graduate school in Atlanta. And while I was there, and then I, you know, after grad school, I worked there and stayed there for a while, but I just kept feeling this nudge to come back home and to do my genealogy and to, you know, research the family roots and, and all of that. So this poem is a result of some of the research that I found. What I won't read, but I think it's important to note, is that I start the poem with the epigraph, which is a paragraph out of the local newspaper in 1967. Um, but here's the poem to Maxwell. Your unnamed roads and unpaved paths stuffed gravel in my throat. Hear the stories behind my voice. I would cough up the following autumn. Nights I would cry in my dreams of hearing crows and seeing ghosts. Years later, I knew I would return, an adult looking for birthright. Surprised to discover bamboo roots growing like orphans on acres, Surrounding my grandparents' home, three miles from the plantation they never spoke of, its name at the tip of our family tree. I've returned to find your land nearly impotent, compromised tree limbs too weak to direct where I should walk, search, pray. A tumultuous tide rises inside 
right within me as I stand, bruised and naked on your blood-stained back. I weep, seeing you buried underneath secrets and modernity. No, mo- no monuments stand to tell the truth. No stones left for me to gather. No rivers running for me to dip my shame and regret. Your roots spread alongside railroad tracks, wetted to knee-high grass. My breath remains evidence of a previous union, and it is I who want to be taken in your arms. Admit it to that there is some kind of love you hold for me and from me. Until then, your bamboo would never grow as high as the crow flies. That's to Mottsville. That's my love letter to Mottsville. Oh, wow. Do you sit and think through every word of every stanza, or do you write freely and allow the words to flow? I, I began with allowing the words to, fro- to flow freely, um, unedited. Tell me, more. Tell me more. I, you know, once, I was going to say once an idea comes to me, but sometimes an idea doesn't even come to me, but I'm let to write and to the page and I allow myself the opportunity to feel free in that moment and, and just let it come. And, and, and sometimes on a good day, it's something good. And then I edit it. And that's when I think about, is this the right word? Uh, is there a better words? Is this really conveying what I want it to convey? How do I change the line length? Is this a stanza break? So I'm I'm very strong in editing, but when I initially write, it's writing, Michael. It's just let me let me allow it to come out. Share another poem. Okay, so I'm gonna move to resurrecting the bones. Uh, which is is the collection uh, in response to visiting African-American churches and cemeteries in the South. So I'll start with the first poem that kind of sets up the collection a little bit. And it's titled, It Begins with Breakfast. Mary's on Trade Street. It begins with slow grace. Words pouring over eggs and grits, soaking up biscuits and Labor Day sun. My uncle saying we should go, like Thomasine and Bushrod, without the urgency, still the rush to find what we don't know we lost. It begins with a nod and waving of hands, a midnight train that's gotten off track, a scribbled list of churches our fathers once pastored, We breathe shadows. We mumble hallelujah, moan instead of sing. It begins with the grief of digging dried blood soil and buried stories left dead. We drift toward dirt roads overgrown with loneliness instead, looking for the spot where it first began. It begins with stories, Sundays sitting silently by cast iron pots of boiling water, so close the heat makes you itch. The smell of the fire cuts deeper than fresh poured tar. Tears suck inside memories in your bones. That's the first uh, poem in, in the collection. 
what inspired you to write that particular collection? It's kind of it's kind of interesting, you know. I, you know, as I said in the poem, and this is pretty literal. My uncle and I were sitting at breakfast, and <laughs> he says we should go visit the churches. My granddad was a pastor too, and we did. And we went to the first church, and I had a notebook because my idea was that I wanted to talk to people who may still be members who remembered my dad or my granddad depending on the church we visited. So I wanted to record what they may say and all of that. But I found myself just capturing scenes during service. And after service, still talking to people, but it just landed, it hit me differently. And I began to write poetry based on, it was the only way I knew how to process their experience and to capture their experience. And so we did that. We would go every first Sunday, which is Communion Sunday in most Protestant black churches. And yes. we chose a different church every first Sunday. And I, again, taking notes. And then I would stop at a coffee shop after church, after I dropped my uncle off. And I would write, I would write poetry. And I thought, there's something to this. And long story short, I applied for a local grant, um, a grant from our local arts council to ex expand the travel outside of North Carolina and outside of churches that were connected to my family. So I was in Texas and Georgia and South Carolina visiting places, you know, I had no connection to, but really wanting to sit in that sanctuary and listen to the preacher and the choir. And, and these are old churches, like shotgun churches, third row churches, not these huge um what do they call them now? I can't even, like, not these massive churches, but these small okay. family-situated churches with the cemeteries next to them. I grew up in a city church. We didn't have cemeteries next to our church. So no, I, we don't. Right. You know, you have this huge edifice, and, you know, uh, you know, there's not a cemetery next door. So, so that, no. that interests me, and I was curious, and that curiosity led me to writing. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. It 
can it can do both. It can do both. Sometimes I'm exhausted by it. Sometimes I'm energized. But I will say, even when I'm exhausted by it, and the exhaustion would come from me me wrestling with the topic. Um, but even in the exhaustion, when I'm done and I, I get in bed, I feel such a sense of of peace and joy. Um, so I accept it. I accept the ex- exhaustion if that's what is part of the process. I think a, a, a different part of the same question is, what is potentially the most difficult part of the artistic process for you? And then conversely, what is the easiest part? The most difficult for me is is starting. In all honesty, is writing. Is <laughs> is okay. starting. Is is writing. I don't I don't know how else to answer that. Um, sometimes I get in a groove and it's just easy and it's daily and it's flowing. And then there are other times, Michael, that you know I wonder when am I going to write again? Like when am I going to feel and, and writers who, who do this professionally will, will roll their eyes at the statement. But when I feel inspired, you know, when is that going to come? Because sometimes I have these droughts. So for me, that's the most difficult when I'm away from that, the habit and the rhythm of writing um, because I miss it. But, I, you know, it's just interesting. I miss it. And at the same time, I don't want to force myself to do it. It's really weird. So but, you don't write every day. You don't write every day. I saying. don't write, I don't write poetry every day. I journal every day. Okay. Uh, but I don't I don't try to write a poem or or work on craft every day. I don't. No. Share <laughs> another poem. I'm enjoying you. Share another poem. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I'm gonna share the first poem that I wrote. Uh, at the first church that we visited from, you know, and with the second project, the second project, and it's called Church Mothers. Women in white dresses surround me after service like absent mothers longing for a baby's return to their breasts. Rejoicing, prayers for a daughter's return are answered while they wait in line to tell me they knew my folks and how they knew me, young, in pigtails and knee highs. They remind me when I was not yet full of the life I now hold behind my eyes, pain taking up space I thought no one could see. Women, gray curls spiraling from beneath their cloth hats, twist both my arms in theirs. Take her to the altar, one says to the other. I am caught up in their strength, speechless, and will taught to not resist this kind of salvation. We fall to our knees, caught by a purple velvet cloud and wooden rails. Blood and water sprinkled on my forehead. Forgive, they firmly whisper, their breath on each of my cheeks. Say you, forgive. Church mothers. Church mothers. Can't you see them? You know? Yeah. I (laughs) (laughs) can't. If you were asked (laughs) to convince a friend
your colleague to read your book, what might you tell them? Oh. If you had to convince a friend or colleague to read your book, what might you tell them? I have not thought of this, so we'll see how this rolls off. Um, I, would, I would tell them that resurrecting the bones is, yes, about history and about culture, about black culture. But it's also about how we can resurrect ourselves, that lost part of ourselves. And that this book for me is about a journey outwardly as well as an inward journey. And that I would love for them to take this journey with me. And then let's talk about it. I mean, that's what comes to me right now. <laughs> All right. I like that. I like that. Let's, let's go on a journey together. Yeah. Inward yeah. and outward. You know, poetry is so powerful, Jacinta. It is so powerful. Where does this power come from? What do you, where does it where does it derive from? You know, I, you know, I don't I don't know. I I would guess that you know, some might say it comes from their muse. Some would say you know, it comes from their experience and they were living the experience. For me, and particularly with this book, it was really a spiritual journey and inspiration, you know, the true meaning of inspiration and that I felt like the spirit was breathing in and through me. And I have, you know, poems come to me in my dreams as well. So, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I have the answer uh, for me. And this is why it's, it's difficult for me sometimes to write because for me, I have to be very still and silent in my life. Like life has All to right. be very still. And it's just, it's, sometimes it's not still because of work and other obligations and planning and, you know, all of that. So it's not as still for me externally, which sometimes makes it more challenging for it to be still internally to the place where I can write, where I can hear and I can write. But yeah, for me, poetry, poetry is like a co-creation and, and a dance. And that's what I love about it because I can have an idea of what I want to write, but I would rather just, I would rather be the blank page, you know, I would rather just go, okay, yes. what are we going to write about? Yes. Um, and, and, then, and then try and craft it, you know, with, with, with what I've learned about poetry. So that's a long you've answer to saying, I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> you've accomplished so much. What is a measure of success as a poet? What's a measure of success? Well, I think I think most poets and artists would say the measure of success is being published. You know, it's having their work out okay. there. It's having right. um, maybe having a book, maybe having an MFA, which I don't have an MFA. For me, you know, it's a combination. It, it starts with me finding satisfaction 
in the process and not in the product. And I think that's what keeps people, that's what keeps artists coming back to their art is the process, the actual art making. Uh, it's interesting. This book came out, Resurrecting the Bones came out in 2019. And I am so proud of it and pleased of it. And a poet friend of mine said, you know, you're having a long run with this book because it's, it's, you know, 2021 and we're still talking about it, which I am so thankful yes. for. But I will be honest and say, I miss the process. I miss going into the cemeteries and, and listening and recording. I miss the call and response that I was really in tune with in these almost empty churches. I miss going, you know, having my GPS getting me lost because it can't find the address for this church because it's like doesn't pick it up because it's in the in the woods, you know. <laughs> like like I miss um, locking myself into hotel rooms on the weekends to edit. So you know, so and that's not to say I'm not thankful for where I am now and and for this collection, but I think. Yes. To answer the question, the measure of success often comes in the gratification of the of doing the work. Of doing that's the reward for me is is the getting my hands dirty and the discovery process. That is and thankfully it results in a book and people buy it and people invite me to talk right. about it. That's icing on the cake. Yes. But the cake yes. Oh, my gosh, is the process, I think. Well, you know, it's funny. That's my next question, and it's kind of funny that you, you use the word cake because I wanted to ask you, what are some of the most, most prevalent ingredients that go into this concoction we call a poem? Uh, okay, so if okay. We look at, <laughs> if we look at a poem as a cake, mm-hmm. what are some of the ingredients that go into to making that cake? Yep. So we've talked about emotion. Um, yes. so that's the one that I would say. There's also an an attentiveness, not only to what's happening in life and to the event and what you want to write about, but there's attention to how you want to convey it. And so that shows up in the form. Are you going to use a, a poetic form like a pantoum or a sonnet or a haiku or free verse? And it comes with line length. It is the rhythm of the poem. And, you know, that can come with alliteration. You know, so there's so many techniques. How do you use white space on the page? Um, but, but I think the basic and the core ingredients, the ones you cannot substitute out if you are baking this, for me, I would think would be the, the emotions that you have, um, and also really paying attention to the form in which you want to convey the message. That's, that's one of the differences, main differences, not only, but main differences between poetry and prose. How are your lines? What are you doing with your lines? When do you want people to take a breath? Uh, those are those are key elements. Are you using metaphors, or is it literal? Most of my poetry is is almost literal. It's not necessarily always the. It didn't necessarily happen that way, but it's 
straight. If that makes any sense. I, you know, I I, I'm listening to you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm listening to you talk. The the teacher in you just 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 pours out. Mm. It pours out. Do you like teaching? Do you like teaching about this craft, about poetry? Do you like teaching about it? I do. I do. Tell me more. Tell me why. Well, so there there are a couple of things. Mostly when I am leading a poetry workshop, I'm really not talking about craft because I work with people who are using poetry or who are looking to use poetry as a way to process difficult emotions. So I work with, um, I had a, I had a session this morning with those recovering from cancer. And so we're not talking about craft, but we're looking at poetry as a vehicle to share the fears or the concerns or the joys. So, so there's that. So I enjoy looking at poetry at, with that lens. How do we express ourselves? How can we use metaphor and simile to express ourselves? What are some of our word choices? So that's one part. But I also, in addition to that, I also will lead workshops where we do talk about craft. And I enjoy doing it because for a long time, and for a long time, I mean my childhood, I had a hard time finding my voice and finding something that I loved that I felt loved me back. And I, you know, when I talk to people about my journey with poetry, I, really, I say that poetry is my lifeline, that it was my lifeline when my dad died. Um, it's my, you know, it, it has served as an altar. So it's a really special gift for me. Um, I believe it's a God-given gift for me to have poetry in my life. And that then translates to the passion of sharing it with others. Because I know how I benefited from writing. And I wasn't thinking about being a poet or being published, but it was a process of writing that in, in a lot of ways saved my life. And so it's a gift that I have that I that I want to I want to share with others. You know, you 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 shared just in terms of finding your voice. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Because again, you speak with such eloquence. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> at least you are tonight. At least you are tonight. <laughs> you speak with such eloquence. So. Well, is there a relationship between the two? Gosh, that is such a good question. Well, that's why they pay me the big bucks, Jacinta. Well, yes, they should. They should pay you more. Uh, Well, thank you, thank you. Is there a relationship? I want to believe that there is. I will say that I am more comfortable with my written voice. I, I'm more comfortable writing. Really? Than I am really? Yes. That's surprising to me. That's surprising. As i just yes. listening to you, I'm like, wow, she possesses it all. No, 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 no. That's I what? am an introvert. Definitely <laughs> uh, <laughs> introvert. Love the silence and being with the page. I, so it's okay. interesting because that's, that's what it feels natural to me. But I also would say that I grew up 
being like my parents honed me well in using my voice. I remember, you know, and I grew up with my, my dad was a preacher. So mm-hmm. every Sunday I heard him at a mic, you know, preaching and people listening and responding. My mom is a retired school teacher. She stood up in the classroom, you know, five days a week for 30 something years and taught. So I never got away with being silent or being shy, you know, know, once a year, the church would give a pastor's appreciation. And my dad, I remember being young, like three or four, and he always had me to say something to the congregation. So I, they started me young in front of a mic, but so I'm comfortable speaking, but my, my happy place is somewhere quiet with pen and paper. Okay. 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 Share another poll. I know you can't tell that tonight because I'm talking, uh, you know, I'm going to not. <laughs> no, I, I can't tell. Do. I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> with the fact that we're having a conversation. This is like Matt Cole. Okay. So another poem. I'm going to switch. Talking about being a PK. This is, this is still out of Resurrecting the Bones. The book is in three sections. And the first section deals mostly with the visits that I took and what I saw and the cemeteries and churches. And the second, se- the second section is more about me being a woman, having grown up in the black church. And then the third section is a universal and global look of what's happening in the world and in the nation and um, some critique perhaps with how we're looking at that um, as black Christians. Because this is out of the second section, again, me as a woman speaking. And it's titled 12 Stones. I spent Sabbath water baptizing head first, rinsing the week's sin, saying, I believe. Coming up, Dreads drenched the gospel of Nina Simone from the bathroom's choir loft, playing. Was praying generations will come bathe my back, read my palms, see their history and the lines around my eyes, smell the trials on my breath. I spent years walking over graves, bowing to read each stone-washed name. I tucked inside my pocket 12 stones. You ask when I return, if bones can live, listen on. 12 stones. 12 stones. All poets have several words that come up over and over and over again in their writing. They just can't help but use in their work. Yep. What are three of your absolute favorite words to use? I don't know if they're my favorite, but I've noticed they come up a lot, and not just in this co- uh, this collection. Dirt comes up a lot. Yes. Yes, I don't know what that means. But um, what are some other ones? So I play with this book with the word with the words bones. So that was a little intentional 
Okay. I don't know what my third one is. Do you know? I don't know, but let's go back to dirt. Tell me about dirt. What about dirt resonates with you? (laughs) I don't know. It's the weirdest thing. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's so bad. So this is when I'm going to act like it's just us on 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 a phone call and no one's listening in. Let me tell you, <laughs> the other day, the other week, honestly, I was like, I just, I need to feel dirt. Like, I need my hands. It's probably a part of feeling grounded and wanting to feel grounded. Right? Okay. And, and feeling okay. that connection right. to the earth is, is part of it, I think. And I, I, was, I was craving feeling dirt. And I'm in an apartment. I don't have a yard. And I'm not just, you know. So I went. Last week, I went to buy flowers for my, I have a deck. So I was like, oh, let me just do, like, some flowers on my deck. And when I was, and I know nothing about flowers. I don't have a green thumb. But I'm talking to the lady at the, at the shop, and she, she tells me also about this dirt that I need to buy because I have to pot it. And it made me so happy. And I was like, oh, here's the dirt. Like, I need my hands in dirt. <laughs> yeah. We can delete that out if you know. But, uh, <laughs> no, this is going global. There are no flubs. No redos. about what's happening in the world. Am I correct? I'm I'm paraphrasing. So much is happening in the world today. So much is happening. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? um, To bear witness. To what? To to what, Jacinta? To bear witness to to what? What is happening. And and to to poets, you know, I don't want, I can't prescribe it and say, you know, poets are to pay attention or pay witness to what's happening with the Black Lives Matter or what's happening with, you know, racism and Asian Americans or what's happening with trans. Um, I, think, I think it depends on who you are as a poet because there's enough to go around for us to pay attention to. Um, that you, that I, I do think that you can have, have a choice. My... When I wrote this collection, I was hoping to and attempting to bear witness to what it means to be black and, and to be uh, black and not have proper burials and, and mass burials and unmarked graves and lost records, as well as, so that's historical, as well as what it means to be black in a world that constantly is abusive to you um, collectively. And so, but that's my lens and, and that's what, you know, but I, but I wouldn't consider myself a poet that just writes about that, but it's to bear witness. It could be bearing witness to a parent that's dying or bearing witness to the sun that's rising. You know, it could be bearing witness to, again, the political upheaval around the world, bearing witness to the pandemic and how we responded to that. 
have you written about the pandemic? Just yeah. in terms of your journal? You have. Uh, yes. Well, journaling, yes. I haven't done any poetry. But, yes, journaling, yes, it has come up. Mostly me okay. screaming about it. But, yes, it has come right, up. Right, 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 right. The, the pandemic, as I just want to talk about this briefly, it's, it's, it's opened up so much for so many different people just in terms of finding your way through it. Yes. Or finding Definitely. a container to put it in. Yeah. I mean, I know my writing has taken on a different lilt due to the pandemic. Yeah. It really has. It really do has. You, really are has. You, do you find yourself writing more, or is it about the same? I find myself writing about the same, to be honest. Okay. But there's a, mm-hmm. a different level of urgency to it. Uh-huh. Yeah. I I don't know how to describe it even further than that. It's just that I need to get these words out of me yep. for some reason now, more so than ever. Yes. Not not a minute more. Get these words out. These yes. same five words that need to come out of me. I need hmm. to put them on paper. I need to put them somewhere so that they can breathe their own air. That's powerful. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. I don't know if that makes sense, it's but totally. Yeah, I mean, I want to, I would love to, like, talk more about that, and, because I wonder if it's, if in some way that has to do with how the pandemic has maybe reminded us or shown us um, how uncertain life is. Oh, very much so. I agree with that 100%. Mm-hmm. You're right, because if you really think about it, you can walk outside. It is so beautiful now that this, this, the weather has changed, but it's also dangerous at the same time. It's beautiful and dangerous yeah. at the exact same time, in the exact same instant. Wow. I don't know where I'm and going with this tonight, but. Yeah, yeah this is good. This is good, yeah. And, 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 you know, to continue with that, it is beautiful and dangerous at the same time and and more so now than ever I think there's this clarity about how unpredictable the next moment is yes yes very much so very much so because we don't know we don't know we've not been here before we don't know no, we've never been here before. Wow. Let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back, okay? All right, we'll be right back.
We are back. I am here with Jacinta V. White. Jacinta, question mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poets write for a myriad of reasons. Mm-hmm. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience, while others write because to stay silent is not an option. Why do you write? Hmm. 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 <laughs> um. <laughs> you and I go way back. <laughs> we go way back. Um, Decades. <laughs> I know, I know. Wow. Beautiful. I write Why do you write? I don't I don't feel that I have a choice. Um and I say okay. that because it's similar to what you said about your writing now and that you have to get the pa- the words out so that they can breathe. I feel like I have to write because the poems do not belong to me. doesn't mean that I'm writing for an audience, but it, it means that they're not mine to keep to myself. I, I write to stay, to stay sane. I write to remember and to record, to catalog. I write to get in touch with myself and my thoughts. I write to pay tribute. Um, Yeah. Mm. Please hear another poem. Okay, well, I'm going to... This one's a little longer than the other ones, but... uh, and, And talking about the state of the world and you know this these poems were written like mid like 2015 to 2018 but this one's called body sun scarred body coming from between your mother's legs 60 extra bones scrape her full figured body in this body you are threatened by your threatening dark skin I see your dark sky purple grapes massaged by drunkards who refuse to look at your body for what it is. Eat the white cracker, drink the purple wine. This is the body. They digest hums about being on knees, holding pages of ritual between shallow breaths. If only it were that easy. Shedding sin every hour, like shedding 600,000 skin particles. Count them, you. Can't you see them falling, the bodies, the black bodies, the black bodies of children, the black bodies of husbands, the black bodies of wives, the black bodies of prostitutes, the black bodies of pimps, the black bodies of preachers, the black bodies of poets, the black bodies of the unarmed and unnamed. Count the bodies and black body bags, and I will count the pages and bodies of work that talk about black body subjugation, about black women bodies sexualization, about black men bodies degradation. 
when I touch your black chest to make sure your heart isn't still. Eventually, you guide my fingers to read your nipples like Braille. I think of the 100,000 miles of blood we traveled into these bodies, and I want to know what your body feels like, if it feels like my body, if it feels like you're running out of air, if you feel awkward walking into a room with your body because it's so much like your grandmother's body and your grandmother's body wasn't wanted even by her newborns, or if your body feels like a bullet target. I pull your body close to mine every moment I can, as if mine is a bulletproof body shield, giving warmth so you won't die in my arms or out there later. Have your body placed in a black body bag, and I get called to identify your body. Write your name on a tag with a black permanent marker before they give me what you wore against your body, against your black body, against your body. This is the body. This is the body. This is the body that was broken. And that's body. Body. What do you hope readers get from encountering your work? I hope that they are moved to a place that they recognize their grief and not not for them to feel sad and and you know to be in a in despair but to see and to sense how language and how art can transcend the pain and can be a catalyst for healing. That was beautifully stated. Thank you. What's next for you creatively? I'm asking myself that same question. Talk to me. It's, it's just you and I. The okay, okay. 800,000 right. listeners, they're not out there. It's just you and okay, I now. Right. We're just talking. Okay, just cool. shooting the breeze. Right. What's next for you? Um, see, really, that is a great question. I am, I am in this place of um, what, what is known in transition language as neutral ground. I am thinking about another collection. I, I feel like I'm being called to really write about the body. So it's interesting that that was the last piece that I that I read. Yes. Um, the beauty, the the complexity, the frailty um, of the body, and and that's all I have. That's all I know. There's still Snapdragon Journal. There's the the work project. I feel that those are um, creative endeavors as well. But in terms of my own writing, I think I want to study and and play around some more with the idea of the body. Well, tell us before we go about the word project and Snapdragon. Tell us about those two entities. Yes. So uh, in 2021, not 21, 20. 2001, 2001. 
uh, I established the Work Project, which is a company where we use poetry and art as catalysts for self-discovery and healing. So poetry workshops, um, discussions, art journaling, all of that. Again, as a way for people to connect with themselves and to use art to be a mirror and to help them to, to transcend the pain. Seven years ago, out of the work project, Snapdragon, a journal of art and healing was born. And it is a quarterly, we publish those from across the globe. We publish poetry, creative nonfiction and photography, all with a healing bent, uh, emerging as well as established uh, writers and, and artists. And we are, we are open for submissions April the 1st through the 15th on the theme anger. And they, you know, everyone can find out about that at snapdragonjournal.com. So I try to really hold space for others that are using art, just as I have and continue to, to help with the healing journey. I'm sitting here with a smile on my face because I can't believe you're with me tonight. I know. Um. <laughs> I know. I feel the same way. You've been my hero, my shero forever. Um, things that I've wanted to do that I failed to do, not because I didn't want to. It's just that I just didn't have the intestinal fortitude to continue on, but where you did, you made a way out of no way. And um, I think that's just so fantastic. I am so proud of you. You're one of Thank my favorite you. people. One this of my means favorite, welcome, favorite you. people. Your well, your invitation and and our conversation has has meant so much to me. Well, thank you, Jacinta. I mean, I'm gonna call you my friend. Yes, and, please um, do. I want to thank you for spending time. The, the hour's over. The hour's over. We've got like a minute left. Oh. It's been wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart, and you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. All right. Well, well I want to say good night to you. Good night. Let's stay in touch. Yes, we'll need to do. Yes, we will. We will. Okay. And to our listening audience, as I share with you every week, let poetry ring. Good night, everybody. Good night, Jacinta. Good night. Be well. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Yes. Bye.